Once again, let me just say how good it is that we are all gathered together, and you guys look so good in your red, white, and blue out there this morning, and I'm glad that we can celebrate uh, our freedom uh, in this country. You know, the book of James, chapter 1, verse 17, reminds us that every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights, comes from God himself, and so it is the right thing for us to give praise and to thank God for the wonderful gifts that he has given us, not the least of which is that we are people who can gather together freely as we do this morning to be able to open God's Word and to be able to study it and declare Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And so, uh, you know, freedom and independence, those are words that are often used in our country, particularly on days like today. Uh, Our nation was built upon those concepts of freedom and independence. Um, In fact, as, as Americans, one of the documents that that we hold so dear is our Declaration of Independence, uh, which was adopted by the Second Continental Congress on this date, 245 years ago. Most of us are familiar with with the words of the the second sentence of that Declaration of Independence. It reads, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Now, while we are familiar with those words, we may not be as familiar with words of the final paragraph of the Declaration of Independence. It states this, it says, For the support of this declaration, with a firm reliance upon the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. Now, effectively, what that tells you is that the Declaration of Independence began with a recognition of God and His blessings upon the people of this nation, but then it moved to what those blessings demanded of the people of this nation. And when we read and we study American history, what we realize is that there came a point when our forebears were forced to decide. They were forced to make a choice. They had to choose whether they would continue to stand by and accept the unjust and tyrannical rule of Great Britain, or would they make the tough and very difficult decision of declaring their independence from the king's crown? And those of us who sit in this room today, we enjoy the freedoms that we have because men like John Hancock and and Thomas Jefferson and Benjamin Franklin, and John Adams, and Button Gwinnett, and Lyman Hall, to name just a few, because men like that made the difficult decision to sign their names to a document that would forever seal the destiny of a people. And as Americans, all of us should be grateful that such a decision was made by these men, and I believe that it is a true cause for us to celebrate today and every day. And I also believe that by reminding ourselves of this very difficult decision that others chose to make, it is a decision that we have all benefited from, as I said. Well, that should also cause us to recognize that all of us will also face choices and decisions that carry long-lasting impacts as well. I have entitled today's sermon, Dependence Demands a Decision. And on this day in which we as a nation celebrate our declaration of independence from Great Britain, we must also declare our complete and total dependence on Almighty God who 
in his benevolence has shed his grace upon us. And because God has acted on our behalf, because he has blessed us with so much and done so much for us in so many ways, well, such blessings demand that we decide what we are going to do with him and are we going to serve him. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope that you do, turn with me to the book of Joshua in the Old Testament. That's the third, excuse me, it's the sixth book from the, from the beginning. And the book of Joshua is, is a book that narrates for us what ultimately uh, happens when the people of Israel had been released from Egyptian slavery and they came into the land of Canaan and God ultimately through Moses was able to proportion off land for each of the tribes where they would dwell and where they would live. And it were told how the tribes of Israel battled and fought with the inhabitants of Canaan until they finally had taken possession of the land that God had promised them. But by the time that we get to the last three chapters of Joshua, the battle and the fighting is, is all done. In fact, at this particular point, the, 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 the tribes are going to settle into the land that has been given to them. And Joshua takes an opportunity to communicate to those tribes what we might dub as being farewell speeches, farewell messages. Joshua is an old man by this point, and he takes the opportunity to communicate what's the most important things that he could say to them. You know, I've often found it in my life that when you are looking at someone for what is very likely to be the last time that you see them, or at least the last time that you see them for a very long period of time, all the superficial things tend to evaporate at that point, and you want to say something to them that actually has substance and will mean something for a long period. That's exactly what we come to when we see what Joshua is saying to these men of these various tribes in Israel. And quite frankly, I believe that the messages that he shares with them are just as poignant and they are just as important for you and me today as they were for them. Time's not going to permit me to read all of that, but I do want to read just a few parts of it to you this morning. And the first farewell speech that we read comes in in chapter 22, and it's the first six verses. So read along with me. Hear the word of God this morning. Here we read there in verse 1, Then Joshua called the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh and said to them, You have kept all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, and have obeyed my voice in all that I have commanded you. You have not left your brethren these many days up to this day, but have kept the charge of the commandment of the Lord your God. And now the Lord your God has given you rest for, to your brethren and he promised, as he promised them. And now, therefore, return and go to your tents and to the land of your possession, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you on the other side of the Jordan. But take careful heed to do the commandment and the law which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you to love the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to keep his commandments, to hold fast to him, and to serve him with all your heart and with all of your soul. So Joshua blessed them, and he sent them away, and they went to their tents. This is the word of God. Now, just a little background on this passage. The tribe of Reuben and the tribe of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh, they had been allotted land on the eastern side of the Jordan River. But back in Joshua chapter 1, the men of the tribes on the, of, of those three tribes had been enlisted to go help to cross over the Jordan and go to the western side and to help all of their brothers from the other tribes to fight all of those who were dwelt in Canaan until they could settle all of the land that God had proportioned for them to have. By the time that we get to chapter 22, all the fighting's done. And all the possessions have been taken. 
and the tribes have settled into their lands. And now these men from the tribe of, of Reuben and Gad and, and Manasseh, they are, it's time for them to go back home to their, to their land on the eastern side of the Jordan River, back to their wives and their children. So Joshua is giving them this farewell message and he's sending them home, but he's sending them home with instructions. And in what he says to them, we recognize that Joshua foresaw a potential danger with these tribes when they went back home. They were going back to the long-awaited rest that they had so waited for, but there was a, there was a danger that faced them. It was a danger of apathy. In fact, that's the first word that I want you to see on your outline this morning. I've given you just three words, three hooks for us to hang our thoughts on as we work our way through this passage. And the first danger that is identified for us from this passage is the danger of apathy. We could call it laziness. We could call it sleepiness. We could call it carelessness. We could call it lethargy. Joshua is warning these men from these tribes about becoming apathetic now that they were heading home and they were no longer at war. Now, the heart of, of Joshua's message comes in verse 5 of what I read to you earlier. But before he gets there, he reminds them of something incredibly important in verse 4. Don't miss it. He reminds them that the respite that their brothers now had and enjoyed on, on the western side of the Jordan, the, the same rest that they hoped to be able to enjoy when they got back home on the eastern side of the Jordan River, well, that had all come by the hand of God. Notice what he says in verse 4. He says, and now the Lord your God has given rest. God is the subject, has given is the verb, rest is the object. That is what they had received, and it had come from the hand of God. So Joshua is reminding these, these men of God's faithfulness to his promises, and that reminder really lies at the heart of what he intends to say to these tribes as they depart and go back home. In fact, we might even say that Joshua's farewell message really here is a declaration of dependence. They, they are reminders of Israel's total reliance upon God's faithfulness and upon what God had done for them. And Joshua says again and again and again that it is the dependence of these men and these families upon God that ultimately demands a decision by the people. He says, since God's been faithful, this is what is resulting from that. And verse 5 tells us what that is. He says, you must take careful heed to do the commandments and the law which Moses commanded you to love the Lord your God and walk in his ways and to keep his commandments and to hold fast to him and to serve him with all your hearts and with all your soul. It's a fairly straightforward argument if you think about it. In light of what God has done for you, here is what you must do. It, it really is the argument that lies at the heart of one of my favorite hymns when I survey the wondrous cross. When you get to that last line of that, that beautiful hymn, what does it say? Love, so amazing, so divine, demands my life, my soul, my all. The unfortunate reality, however, is that being stirred to action and obedience by God's grace, rather than that being what happens, all too often we tend to get lulled to sleep by God's grace. We tend to take God's grace for granted. It can sometimes not be as amazing to us as we sing about. When we've just come through a tough fight, when we have, just like these men had in fighting for the land that God had given to them, and we look forward to a time of rest and a time of respite and a time of being away from the battlefield, 
there is a significant danger that awaits us of becoming apathetic. That's exactly what Joshua understood. And it's why he encouraged these people to be careful to observe the law and to love the Lord and to walk in his ways and to cling to and serve the Lord. He's telling them, listen, don't become apathetic. Don't become lazy. Don't become self-absorbed. And I believe that as Americans and as Christians, you and I should take careful heed to that same warning. We must guard against becoming lethargic. We must guard against becoming so comfortable with Christ that we no longer recognize that we were once lost before we were found. We're just like that prodigal son that we studied the last two weeks. We were once lost and completely far from God until he found us and he brought us and welcomed us home. We were once dead in our trespasses and sins until God breathed his life into us. Brothers and sisters, God's grace extended to us should make us vigilant people, not sleepy people. So in light of all that the Lord has done for them, Joshua tells these men of the tribes of Gad and Manasseh and, and the half-tribe uh, half of Manasseh and the Gad and what's my other one, Reubenites. He tells them, look, make a decision. Stay vigilant. Stay watchful. Follow the Lord. Their future and the destinies of those who came behind them will be determined by the decision that they made. And you and I must realize that the same is true for us. The decisions that you and I make not only affect our destinies, but it makes an impact upon those who come behind us. And therefore, you and I must not be lazy and we must not be apathetic. We must make a decision if we will follow the Lord. So that's the first farewell message that we read. The next one comes in chapter 23. And in many ways, it's similar to the first one. It's kind of set up in the same sort of way. Uh, in verses 3 through 5, Joshua reminds all the local leaders and the chieftains and the military and officers of all that God had done on their behalf. And he once again declares their dependence upon God. In fact, listen to what he says in verse 3. He says, you have seen all that the Lord your God has done to, to all these nations because of you. For it is the Lord your God. He is the one who has fought for you. There's no way to determine that in any other way except to say you have no one else to look to for whom you've been dependent upon than, than to God. He is the one who, is, who has fought all of your battles for you. So as a result of that, then we begin to read what he says should happen beginning in verse 6. Notice what he says. Therefore, in light of all of that, be very courageous to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, lest you turn aside from it to the right hand or the left, and lest you go among these nations, these who remain among you. You shall not make mention of their name, of the name of their gods, nor cause anyone to swear by them. You shall not serve them nor bow down to them, but you shall hold fast to the Lord your God as you have done to this day. For the Lord has driven out from before you great and strong nations. But as for you, no one has been able to stand against you to this day. One man of you shall chase a thousand. For the Lord your God is he who fights for you, as he promised you. Therefore, take careful heed to yourselves that you love the Lord your God. Or else, if indeed you do go back and cling to the remnant of these nations, these that remain among you, and make marriages with them and go into them and they to you know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations from before you. But they shall be snares and traps to you and scourges on your sides and thorns in your eyes until you perish from this good land 
which the Lord your God has given you. Now, what's obvious from what Joshua writes or what Joshua says here is that he knew that if the nation of Israel was going to prosper in its time of peace, it would only prosper if the Israelites continued to live in obedience to God without accommodating themselves to the pagan nations that surrounded them. And what Joshua says here is true not only in the nation of Israel, it's true for every nation, and it's true for every individual. That brings us to the second hook that's on your outline. The second warning that I think is inherent in this, in this second message is, is a warning against syncretism. Syncretism. Listen, syncretism is an attempt to blend or unite the beliefs and practices of differing religions into one that is actually different from anything else. And I want you to notice the Bible always condemns syncretism. The Bible is always clear that one's heart is to be undivided. One's affections, one's loyalty, one's obedience is always to be fixed only and solely on the Lord Jesus Christ and upon nothing else and no one else. And that's why the Joshua looks at these people and effectively says to them, look, do not turn away from God's word. Do not accommodate yourself to the world's ways. Do not give your allegiance to false gods. Don't set your will to serve idols. Do not adopt the lifestyle of the pagans around which you live. Brothers and sisters, while you and I realize that, that this message was written 3,500 years ago, we must not assume that the arrows of this message do not also pierce our hearts just as it pierced the hearts of these Israelites. The 3,500 years of human history that have, have transpired since these words were uttered have not diminished their, their truthfulness one bit. You and I must beware the danger of syncretism. Now, in fact, I want you to hear the words of the New Testament, which tell us this in James 4, verse 4. We read, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? And whoever there wants to, for wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. 1 John 2, verse 15 says, do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And then hear the words of Jesus himself. Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, he says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and mammon. Listen, the message could not really be any clearer. In fact, this is where, in one sense, I believe that the endless pursuit of what we know as the American dream really poses a, a significant danger to Christians and believers. You see, the lure of easy living and worldly possessions have caused many to forget that Christ actually calls us to cut ties with this world and the things that are in it. The reality is, is you and I will never experience heaven here on earth. And regardless of what anyone ever tells you or what pulpit they may stand behind to say it, I want you to know you will never, ever live your best life now in this world because this world is not our home. Therefore, Joshua's message to the Israelites and the message of this text is the same. We must avoid syncretism and any attempts to blend our faith and our practice 
with the self-centered and idolatrous pursuits of this world. Just, Just as Joshua challenged the Israelites, so you and I are challenged to make a decision. In light of the blessings and in light of the benefits that the Lord has given to us, in light of our total dependence upon him, we must choose to follow the Lord and to commit ourselves wholly to him. So Joshua has issued these two strong farewell messages. We come to the third one in chapter 24. And based upon the first two, we might not be surprised that the structure of the third one is practically the same. He begins with another declaration of dependence, and then he goes to what is demanded as a result. Let me just give you a summary of what verses 1 through 13 state. God goes back from the history of the Israelites, from Abraham all the way to present. And he takes them from where God, he had called Abraham out of the land of Ur, how he had given him son and he'd given him those who had come to him and they had gone into Egypt, but God had brought them out of Egypt and into the promised land. And then in verse 13, he caps that entire summary off with these words. I have given you a land for which you did not labor and cities which you did not build and you dwell in them and you eat of vineyards and olive groves which you did not plant lest you decide to throw your chest out and boast about all that you've done, God just wants to make sure that we understand He is the one who gives every good and perfect gift. It comes from Him, not from our own doings. So having reminded them of what they were able to benefit from and their total dependence upon God, says one of my Old Testament theologians, Dale Ralph Davis, says God is slipping the gentle handcuffs of His goodness around the wrists of their hearts. And then when he does that, he says to them, beginning in verse 14, Now therefore fear the Lord. Serve him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I want you to know that that these words by Joshua were a climactic call to utter dedication. This was like a trumpet note that was so clear on a on a brisk, cold morning when you can hear it just sounding out across the landscape. That's what this call is like. And this was a challenge to these these Israelites. And it's ultimately a challenge to every single one of us. Really, the challenge is this. Decide this day what you're going to do with God. Previously, Joshua had warned against apathy and he had warned against syncretism. Here, his warning is against indecision. That's the third hook. It's a warning against indecision. I want you to consider what Joshua said. I think it's important to notice that he didn't give the Israelites an option as to whether they would become servants or not. Did you notice that? Not only, the only option that was available to them was whom they would serve. He says, you can either serve the gods that that your father Abraham served on the other side before I called him out of Ur, or you can serve these gods that are around these pagan nations in which you dwell. Or... Will you serve the covenant God who has held your past and your present and your future in his hands? It was not a matter of if they would serve. It was only a matter of whom they would serve. I think it was Bob Dylan 
sang a song. Everybody's going to serve somebody. Well, the fact is, everybody will serve somebody. The question is, whom will you serve? Brothers and sisters, you and I face that same decision. As we've already seen, we're called to abandon the syncretistic life. We're called to reject a life that seeks to hold hands with God and hold hands with the world at the same time. We're called to forsake a life that desires to live in the promised land of God's blessing while also enjoying the pleasures of Canaan. We're called to abandon a divided life. We're called to abandon a divided loyalty. We're called to abandon a divided heart. Remember what Jesus said to us in Luke chapter 14, whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Whoever of you, he says, does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Jesus does not leave an option. Friends, these words remind us of how difficult this decision to follow Jesus actually is. Elsewhere and at another time, Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 16. He says, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? Jesus is clear. He calls those who desire eternal life to live a life that abandons self, a life that he describes as taking up one's cross. And while that promise of living with him as our friend and our guide will ultimately bring abundant life to us, it does not mean that such a decision is easy. Pastor Greg Allen has put what this life is like in everyday terms. I love the way he says it. He says, every day I have to confront sins in my life that didn't bother me before I followed Jesus. Every day, he says, I have to wrestle with opposition from the philosophies and the values of this world. Every day I have to seek to live my Christian life in the midst of a world that is hostile to my Lord and Master. Every day, I have to keep on my guard against an enemy who prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Every day, he says, I have to say no to my own self in order to say yes to Jesus. And every day, I have to go across the grain of my own culture and fight upstream against a world that is going in the opposite direction Every day I have to bear the shame of the cross. And every day that I walk this way, he says, I have to die. Brothers and sisters, every day you and I face the exact same decisions. And in facing those decisions, we must recognize that a choice must be made. It is not our prerogative not to choose. On March the 23rd, 1775, before there could be the issuing of the Declaration of Independence, a battle had to be won in the Virginia House of Burgesses in Williamsburg, Virginia. The man who would ultimately become known as the voice of the revolution, Patrick Henry, 
He called his own people to see the choice that they had before them. Most of us are familiar with the last line of his speech, but I want to read the last paragraph of his speech that day. He said this, Gentlemen may cry, peace, peace, but there is no peace. The war has actually begun. The next gale that sweeps from the north will bring to our ears the clash of resounding arms. Our brothers are already in the field. Why stand we here idle? What is it that gentlemen wish? What would they have? Is life so dear or peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery? Forbid it, almighty God. I know not what course others may take. But as for me, give me liberty or give me death. Now, what I want you to know is that Henry's speech caused his fellow countrymen to see what was at stake. Before, before freedom in America could be had, there had to be a willingness to die for freedom in the hearts of Americans. And I want you to know the same can be said for each of us today. We too face a defining moment of decision regarding our freedom. Set before us is a choice to follow the Lord by placing our faith in the finished work of Christ on the cross and serving Him or not. Any other option that does not result in abandoning everything else and to serve Christ and Him alone is tantamount to rejecting Him. There are only two ultimate destinies, heaven and hell. And you and I are called to decide which path we're going to take. Are we going to be on the wide path that leads to destruction or are we going to take the narrow path that leads to everlasting life? There is no third option. That's why indecision is such a danger. To procrastinate is simply to decide that what Christ offers is not worth the personal investment. So the question before us is the same that Patrick Henry asked. Why stand we here idle? Our dependence upon the Lord demands a decision from us. Our story, our testimony is very similar to that of the Israelites. If we're honest and we look back across the panorama of our life, all across the landscape will be dotted with places in which the Lord God has worked and moved into our lives. At moments when we entered in the deepest and darkest of valleys and we turned around and there were no friends around us, do you know who still remained right by your side? The Lord God. At the moments when the deepest and darkest news was delivered to you and you felt as if there was no hope and there was no chance of survival, who was it that came to you and provided you the hope, the only hope that you could ever have? It was the Lord God. Who is the one who lifted you up when you had fallen flat on your face and made the worst mistakes of your life and he dressed your wounds and he dressed you again and sent you back out in service again with his commission upon your life, it was none other than the Lord God. All across the landscape of our lives, we can point to where God's faithfulness and his love for us always came shining through. We are a people who are totally dependent upon him. 
And I want you to know this, that dependence and that that remembering and recounting of all that God has done should not make us lazy and apathetic, nor should it cause us to become antagonistic toward God and the principles that he lays out for us and embracing that that the world tells us is normal. No, we should remember those things so that we can abandon ourselves and we can cling wholly and solely to him and embrace him and to declare that he is our God and we will follow him with everything that we have. Brothers and sisters, our dependence upon the Lord demands a decision from us, just as it did from the Israelites in Joshua's day. As Joshua put it, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. The question is, will you commit everything to follow him or will you walk away? That leads me to my sermon in a sentence this morning with which I will close. Because of our total dependence upon God and all that he has done for us in Christ, we must decide to commit ourselves wholeheartedly to him in faith and in service. The question is, will you do that? You face no greater decision on this Independence Day than to declare your total dependence upon Almighty God. To bind yourself to Him so that you may truly be set free. What He promises those who do so is everlasting life and full of joy. And it is my prayer that you will trust the Lord today and you will place your faith in Jesus Christ and that you will follow Him in complete total obedience. Brothers and sisters, this is the Word of God. And it's for the people of God. Let's pray this morning. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for these reminders to us, your people, of what our responsibility is as followers of you. Those of us who make the claim that you are the one upon whom our faith rests and you are the one who has blessed us and done for us what we could never do for ourselves. Such a declaration demands that we decide to follow you. Not just in word, but in action. That we will live for you. That we will take your gospel message to a lost and dying world. So Lord, I pray that that your Holy Spirit would bring conviction to our lives in areas where we have been disobedient, areas where we have been sleepy and lethargic about following you as closely as we should. Lord, I pray that you would bring conviction to our lives in areas where we, have, where we have attempted to combine things of this world with things of your scriptures and make something that's not true. I ask that you would convict us of that so that we, we might repent of those things and, and turn to you. And Lord, if there's one here today who is considering what it means to be a follower of Christ and yet they're just not at that point. I pray that your Holy Spirit would bring conviction to them about indecision to recognize that that to walk away from you is the equivalent of rejecting you. Lord, you offer so much more. You offer life and hope. You offer an eternity in heaven with you full of joy. I pray today that your Spirit would bring conviction there as well and that they would turn to Christ and to Him alone. You are so good to us, and we are so grateful for your goodness. We're grateful for this country in which we live and for the freedoms that we have to be able to openly 
gather together and declare the name of Christ. We pray for our brothers and sisters in other parts of the world who do not possess those freedoms and who are right now being persecuted and many who are being martyred because of their faith. We pray for them as their brothers and sisters and we lift them up and ask for your encouragement in their hearts on this day of our celebrating our independence. It is in Christ's name that I pray. Amen.